Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. We've been going through uh, the seven habits of highly effective Christians. You remember what the first two were? Let's go back. Very first one was keep the cross in focus. That's so important. Always to remember God's mercy and grace at all times. The second one was begin with eternity in mind. And today we're going to, to be talking about the third very important habit that, that um, Christians need to have at all times. And it's right there on, on top of your um, crosswalk notes. Put God's word first in your life. You know, in today's world, there's, there's kind of a, a lack of knowledge, isn't there, about the Bible? Even some of the more basic facts about the Bible are, are not well known. For example, that the Bible is, in effect, not just a book, but it is a book made up of books. It's a library. There are 66 books in the Bible. And those 66 books were written by more than 40 different authors. But you know what's amazing? Despite the fact that there are 66 books, more than 40 different authors, the Bible really focuses on a single message, and it's the message that we just heard from Jonathan and from the group. That as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed your sins from you. The message of the cross, the Bible itself, itself encourages us to focus on the cross as the central message of, of everything that's going on in the Bible. Think about all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis. God created the world, and then it goes on from there, and Adam and Eve fell into sin. And because they were sinners, they, they wanted to run away from God. But already there, God is coming after them, finding them, making that very first promise to them that I'm going to send you a Savior. I have a plan for you, a, a plan of mercy and grace. And the whole Testament is really the story of the unfolding and the developing of God's plan of salvation to send his son. And the New Testament, of course, is a story of, of how the church develops out of the, the fulfillment of God sending his son Jesus for us so that we can have forgiveness and eternal life. 66 books, more than 40 authors, one message. Do you know about the Bible that it took more than 1,500 years for it to be completed. The Bible was actually started probably by Moses, although some believe that the, the writer of the poetry that we, uh, that we call the book of Job may have been slightly before the time of Moses. However you look at it, um, it was probably about 1450 to 1500 B.C. when the very first book, whether it was Genesis or Job, was written. So you've got the 1500 years. There was a little silent period in there from 400 B.C. to about 40, 45 A.D. And then you have the apostles beginning to write and the, and the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they ended their writing at about 100 A.D. So if you count all that up, you've got more than 1,500 years for the Bible to be written. Now, is, does that not make it all the more amazing? With, with more than 40 authors, 66 books, 1,500 years, it's truly amazing that there is this one unified message that we find in the Bible. And that shows you that there's one unified true author of the Bible, and that's the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the things that the Bible claims for itself, that it, this was not just a human book. It's, it's a divine book written by God, the Holy Spirit himself. You may not know that the first book ever printed 
was the Bible. Now, what I mean by printed is actually printed on a printing press. For 1,500 years, the Bible had to be hand-copied until Gutenberg came along and invented the printing press. We'll go into, into that in a little bit more detail in a minute. But Gutenberg, when he got his printing press running, the first book that he chose to print after 1,500 years of hand-copying was the Bible. Here's one last fast fact for you. The Bible has been translated into more than 2,018 languages. Is that not amazing? Think about all the countries around the whole world that all now have a Bible in their own home language. Now, despite that, there's kind of a lack of Bible knowledge. Even in our own country, where we've had the Bible since really the founding of this country, there's developed a, a kind of a dismal lack of knowledge of what the Bible is all about. There was a recent survey done in a high school in Newton, Massachusetts, and the students were asked about different Bible characters. And uh, some of their answers are, are kind of cute. Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, according to these high school students, they were lovers. Um, Another thing that they were saying is that Moses was the one who baptized Jesus. That's, that's kind of not getting the whole timeline thing quite right. I like this one. The Gospels were written by Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. For Lutheran Church, we love that, yeah, but it's, it's not quite true. And the, the best one of all is the epistles were the wives of the apostles. Now, it's easy to make fun, and of course, we chuckle about that. But if I think of myself back in high school, you know what? I was right there. I was right there. I could have said any one of those four things because I did not have that knowledge of the Bible that I needed to have. And there are people today, not just high school students in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, who don't have the Bible knowledge that, that God wants them to have. And that's why we're here today to talk about the importance of us as believers, as Christ followers, to get to know our Bible and to put God's word first in our life. That's why this habit number three is so vitally important for us to get. Go back to our verse that we're studying for today. The last words that Peter spoke to the church were, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God, speaking through Peter, is basically saying to you, you know what I want from you more than anything is that you grow in your faith. Grow in understanding God's grace. Grow in your knowledge of what God is all about, who he is, what he's done for you. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, you find that throughout Peter's epistles. In 1 Peter 2.2, he says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave it. The spiritual milk. The food of God, his word. So that by it you may grow up in your, in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. You know why I think it's so important for us today to be feeding on God's word constantly? Because we need to be strong in a world like the one that is our world today. I want to tell you a little bit about an article that I found. Now this is um, a research group. And I actually found this article in the Sydney Morning Herald, Sydney, Australia, looking at American culture from the outside. Pretty interesting. 
And the article says, in 1967, American sociologist Daniel Bell was commissioned by Life magazine to write a series of articles explaining the turbulence in American society, especially as it was then in the 60s, and how it manifested itself in the rebelliousness of youth. Bell's overall conclusion was that the 1960s America had become the very first society in history to rear its young in an environment that lacked fixed points of reference to guide them through life. The first society in the history of mankind that lacked fixed points of reference to guide people through life. He goes on. Bell goes on. He says, for millennia, children were initiated into stable ways, ritualized routines, And they maintained a basic familiarity with place and family. Today, there's a radical rupture in all of that with the past. But a child today, he says, is actually being trained for an unknown future. Now think about about what that means. For millennia, children were trained to sort of have a stability, fixed points of reference that could guide their life, And now in American society today, sociologist Bell says, we're training kids for an unknown future, an uncertain future. That's a big difference. And here's what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, here's the the result now 40 years later. This all started in the 60s. Today, for instance, 21%, one out of five, of American children aged 9 to 17 now have a diagnosable mental disorder or addiction. 8%, 8%, a little bit less than 1 in 10, of high school students suffer from clinical depression. And 20%, again, 1 out of 5, of students report having seriously considered suicide in the past year. That's huge. 1 out of 5. That's the society that we're living in today. Now, here's, here's kind of the interesting thing, just to wrap this up. He says, here's what can help. If we look back to the past, what gave young people those fixed points of reference, that stability, was what he calls authoritative communities. Groups of people in their lives, their families, that, that would help them to understand that, yes, that there, is, there is a place of authority in your life. And you know what he mentions as uh, one of the best authoritative communities in today's world? The church. Because, he says, the church has this fixed doctrine, this authoritative book that it bases its authoritative community on, that it can train young people to look to and create those fixed points of reference in their lives. Things like who God is what God's done, what, what God's rules and helps for life are. Bell says those are critically important. You know, I think when Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's talking about that very important fact that we all need this stability in our lives. And more than just for this life. How many of you, for example feel certain that once you leave this life, 
there's another life already waiting for you. And, and how many of you feel sure that by the grace of God, not, not because of anything that you've done, because that's not how it works, but simply because God loves you that much, simply because God sent his son Jesus for you, that heaven is assuredly yours today. You know, that's what the Bible teaches you to believe. The Bible teaches you to have a certainty and an assurance that God is there for you today in this life. And God is waiting for you to step into the next life by faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that God wants you to have that stable, solid belief and base? And that's what Peter says. Take a, take a look in your crosswalk notes. I, I put a couple of, of passages there for you. And one of those passages is um, found in, the, in this second letter to Peter. Hang on as I pull my pages over here. It's all, always important to pull your pages the right direction, just so you know. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. I put it in your crosswalk notes. Look what it says. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election, what? Sure. God wants you to be sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. God wants you to never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God wants you to have assurance. And he goes on. Second Peter 3.17, he says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that, you may be not, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Here's Peter in his own day, speaking some of the last words that he spoke to the church. And he says, you know what? There's going to be people who will come along with teachings. And those teachings are going to try to rob you of your secure position. Don't allow that to happen. Don't let other authorities or other voices creep into your life that are not right here in the scriptures. Because that could rob you of your secure position. And God wants you to have a secure position. I don't know if you've seen the new, um, the new weightlifting exercise where you've got a platform on a round ball. And uh, you do the same types of exercise on that platform, on that round ball, that you do while you're standing with your feet on firm ground. You take a barbell, lift it up, press it up. But you know what? When you're standing on that platform on a round ball, you can lift about a fifth or a fourth of what you can normally lift with your feet planted firmly on the ground. You just cannot carry as much weight. And that's true spiritually, too. And that's why God says, get your feet planted firmly in the Word of God, in the Bible. Because then you're going to have a secure position and no one can ever take it away from you. And you're going to be able to carry a lot more weight around in your life. So, first point that we want to, um, to make today. When we say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's a big why. God wants you to have a secure position. That's why. If you're in the Bible, you're going to have a secure position because that security comes from the Bible. Here's something I'm going to teach you right now because it's going to come back on each point. 
The Bible demands certain things of us. In fact, in a way, you could turn this around and say, God wanting you to have a secure position is demanding us to find that place, dig into the Bible, sink our roots deep into it so nothing can blow us over. But here's the other cool thing about the Bible. The Bible's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we sink our our roots deep into the Bible, we're gaining the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so when we have that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, what the Bible demands, the Bible also gives. Write that down somewhere, because that's an important point. Whatever the Bible demands from you, because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in the Bible, it gives to you. So that security that you want to have, that firm-footedness, that deep-rootedness, when you read your Bibles, you're going to get that. Because the Spirit will be working on your heart. We'll come back to that again. You know, one of the problems with the shakiness of our life in today's world is there are so many sources of authority. You read the paper, you listen to the news, and they're constantly quoting one scientific study after another. If you watch the Oprah show or the Dr. Phil show, they're going to parade one spiritual guru or one psychological guru after another, and they'll give competing sets of advice and and sometimes you just want to pull your hair out like who should i listen to there are so many people claiming to be an authority today and so the second point when when peter says grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord jesus christ is to understand that peter is saying look you can listen to others that's that's cool but when you're looking for a final authority a baseline authority, something to really build your life on, look only one place. Look to God. Look to God's word. Look to the Bible. Let the Bible be that final say-so, that final authority in your life. What are some of the things that, that compete for our attention? Let's, let's go through some, some things that compete and ask to be the authoritative voices in our lives today. Number one, culture. That's like saying everybody's doing it, right? And you hear that a lot. Everybody's doing that. Studies show, for example, that um, more than 50% of today's teenagers will experience premarital sex before the age of 18. More than half. Everybody's doing it. Does that make it right? Does that make it line up with God's will? Is that going to be something that will help you because everybody's doing it? God says, be careful with that phrase, everybody's doing it. Just like your mother used to say, right? Just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. If it's in your culture, understand that it's in your culture. But let the authority of the Bible have the final say. Secondly, tradition. This is the way we've always done it, we say, right? And sometimes we let traditions drive what we do. You've probably heard the, the story before of the, of the um, Christmas ham, right? And um, there's this young mom with her uh, two kids. And before she bakes the Christmas ham, she cuts two inches off of each end of it. And then she puts it in. And her little six-year-old daughter and her eight-year-old son come up to her and say, Mom, how, how come you're cutting the ends of the ham off before you stick it in the oven? And uh, she said, well, you know, 
I'm not really sure, but that's the way my mother always did it. Before she baked the ham, she would cut two inches off of each end. And, uh, and then the ham always tasted great at Christmas, so that's what I do. So they all gather on Christmas for their big Christmas dinner. And, and uh, this young mother remembers this question that her kids have asked her. So she asks her mom, Mom, you know, I, I, I never asked you this before, but how come we cut two inches off of each end of the, each end of the ham before we bake it for Christmas? And her mother says, you know, that's a great question. I, I don't know, that's just what your grandma always used to do. And so I did it that way. Ham always turned out great when I did it that way, so that's, that's what I did. So great grandma is at the end of the table. She, she, it's a little hard of hearing, so she hasn't heard the whole conversation. But now all eyes are fixed on great grandma, right? Great grandma, how come... You started this tradition of trimming two inches off of each end of the ham. And great-grandma says, well, when I was a young wife, we couldn't afford to buy a very large pan for the ham. And so I had to cut off two inches off of each end of the ham to get the ham to fit in the pan before I put it in the oven. You probably heard that one before. It, it's, it's just a sign of how traditions can unthinkingly get passed. Don't let tradition, and we've always done that way, determine what you do. Now, there are many beautiful and wonderful traditions that we love and that are helpful to us. But God's word has to always come first in our lives. The other one is reason. There's another competing voice. Well, I've always thought, or it seems logical, we say to ourselves, Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Think about what that verse means for a minute. There is a way that seems right to man. There is a way that seems logical. There is a way that seems reasonable. But in the end, Solomon writes, it leads to death. I want you to think about all the voices that are telling you this is logical, this is reasonable. I just read an article again the other day about the Da Vinci Code, the, the whole uh, painting that Michelangelo did of the Last Supper, right? And two years ago we were hearing how within that painting you know, was, was a, a code that Michelangelo put it, that if we really truly understand what that code was all about, it would destroy everything that we believe about the Bible and would show that Da Vinci was not a believing man at all. And now, two weeks ago, I read another article that says, now scientists are studying the, the picture, The Last Supper, and they're noticing that if they put uh, music bars across the picture, and then look at the way the loaves of bread on the table and the hands are placed, and then read it backwards, because da Vinci often did his music from right to left instead of left to right, there's a requiem in the Last Supper picture. A requiem that proves that da Vinci, in fact, was a very, very devout Christian man who truly and deeply believed in God. Now, which side do you take? These guys over here that have their logical reasons for looking at da Vinci's painting or these guys over here that have equally logical reasons for looking at the da Vinci painting, my answer to you is use your reason as a, as a dear gift from God. Logic is a wonderful thing, but it should always serve what the scripture says from down here. Never let logic and reason ascend to be over the authority of God's word.
Treat it as a gift, but as one that's always underneath the word of God. Here's the last one that competes for our attention. And, um, and that is the gift of emotion. Remember the old, no, you won't remember this old song. I'm going to age myself. I'm going to date myself. There was an old country western song that used to go, how can this be wrong when it feels so right? Now, you might not have ever heard that story. Hopefully, you're young, young enough that you've not heard that, that awesome country western song. <laughs> but you know what? I'll bet in some form or fashion you've heard that philosophy of life. If it feels right, it's got to be right. And, and again, I don't think we as Christians say, don't listen to your intuition. As Christians, we don't say emotions are unimportant. But let your emotions sort of serve underneath what God's word says. Let your emotions pinpoint and drive home the things that God says in the Bible. Don't let them emerge on top of the Bible. Here's what, here's what the Bible teaches us. It's not emotion. It's not reason. It's not tradition. It's not culture that we ought to be listening to. It's God's word alone that we ought to be listening to straight from the Bible. Look at what Proverbs 2, 6 says. For the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord. He gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. You want wisdom? You want knowledge? You want understanding? Go to the Bible because that's where you're going to find it. And so that leads us to the question, the very simple question that we all have to ask ourselves. Are you ready to accept the Bible as the authority in your life? Are you ready to accept the Bible as God's true word to you that gets the final say-so in everything that you think and do and say? That's really the question that Peter is posing to us as he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. That leads us to our second point. God wants you to have confidence in his wisdom. God wants you to have confidence in his wisdom. And where does that confidence come from? Well, if God demands that we have confidence in his wisdom, back to that point again, the Bible gives what it demands. So if God wants you to have confidence in his wisdom you know you can go to the Bible and find confidence in his wisdom. What I'm doing today is I'm, I'm giving you three compelling reasons to be in God's word. I have a good friend, John Sebald. He goes to church here. He says, if we have a big enough why, we'll figure out the how. Now, that doesn't mean the how is unimportant. In fact, I'm going to teach on the how briefly in just a moment. But the three things that I really want you to get today as we, as we talk about this third habit of putting God's word first in your life is why put God's word first in your life? First, because God wants you to have a solid base. And secondly, because God wants you to have true wisdom for your life and know what is the true source of authority for all your decision making. Okay? And in a moment, I'm going to go on and give you a third why. But it's also important that we understand the how. So let's... let's Let's, let's pause from the wise for a moment and talk a little bit about how do I get more of God's word in my life? Pastor Jeff, you've already given me two reasons why I should do that, but how do I do it? Well, here's the first thing. And it, there's a little portion on the second page. You might want to write these five things down. I'm going to give you five quick hits on things that you can do to get more of God's word in your life. 
First one is simple. Just listen to it. So important that we have time in our day and in our week when we listen to God's words. Why you come to church so that you can listen to the Bible talk to you. Here's the key thing, though. Scientists tell us, this is always great for us pastors to hear, that within 72 hours, all of us will have forgotten 95% of what we've heard today. By Wednesday, you will have retained 5% of what you've heard today. So listening to it is a great start. But you have to move on beyond listening to it. And that is to the second point that you can do to get more of God's word in your life. And that is read it daily. Read it daily. When we start to read it, we see the words on the page. That makes a huge difference for us. Find a little bit of time every day to read your Bible. Sometimes people say to me, Pastor Jeff, I, I know you keep reminding us to, to, to read the Bible. Yeah, you, you bet I do. In fact, I've been asked, what's the number one thing that if you could, if you could get that from every member of your church, Pastor Jeff, that you'd, you'd get done? You know what it would be? Simple. Every member of this church read their Bible a little bit every day. Because if that happened, holy cow, you know, pull out the stops. Amazing things would be happening because the Holy Spirit would be working in every heart if every one of us read a little bit of the Bible every day. That's the number one thing I wish for. As we read it, the Spirit is working in our hearts. And um, it, it's so important that you, that you just have a plan. You know, that's, that's a key thing, is do you have a plan for reading every day? Just a little bit. Take a chapter. Do you realize that if you read the Bible just 15 minutes a day, you'll get through the whole Bible in a year? Someone once did a study and said the, the number of words in the New York Times on one Sunday is more words than all the words in the New Testament. Now, how many of us will take time to read all the Sunday paper and yet not take time for the Bible? Some of us find Dear Abby more important than reading our Bibles. Some of us love the sports page. And we'll go to any lengths. You know, we'll get up half an hour early so we can pad out the driveway and it's kind of cold on the cement as you're going out there barefoot. And if you haven't had the time to put your robe on, you're sneaking out there in your underwear. You know, you don't care. Because you've got to get that sports page, right? And then you take the time to drag it back into the house from the cold driveway. You flip through the paper on your dining table. You go past the sports page three or four times because you can never find that doggone thing on the, on the first pass. But there it is. Finally, after three minutes, you found it. You pull it out and you open it up and you read the sports page cover to cover. Why? Because it's important to you. Same thing for reading the, the Word of God. If it's important to us, we'll get it done. It's like John says, do we have the compelling why? Here's the third thing. Uh, not only read it, study it. That's the third thing. What do I, what's the difference between reading it and studying it? Simple. Do you have a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen out when you're reading? Now you're studying. Be a detective. Ask yourself questions about it. Who, what, where? When, why, how? Remember all those questions you got taught in about third or fourth English class, fourth grade English class? Be a detective. 
Study the Word of God. Really dig into it and ask, ask the important questions about it. When you do that, you're going to be amazed at what God will do if you just dig into it. Fourth point. Remember it. And I mean actively remember it. That is, memorize Bible verses. Now, I've got a, I've got a sweet little trick for you on that. Someone once did a study of how much time you're going to spend at a red light during your lifetime. So that led to my sweet little Bible memorization trick. You're going to spend six months of your life at a stoplight. Isn't that amazing? As you drive back and forth to work every day, if you accumulate all the time that you spend at stoplights, six months of your life is going away to sitting at stoplights. Okay? So here's my sweet little trick. Take something sticky and print Bible passages on it and then put them on your visor. Or have a little set of 3 by 5 cards on the seat next to you. The next time you stop at a stoplight, while you're waiting for the light to change, don't let that six months just fritter away. Use it to memorize the scripture. And I'll bet if you look, you can kind of find other little cracks and nooks and crannies like that where you can spend just memorizing the scripture and how important that is. The Bible talks about hiding the word of God away in our hearts. It's so comforting sometimes when we meet some of the hassles and the difficulties of life to have a comforting passage right there. Okay, here's the last one. Meditate on it. That's the fifth one. Meditate on it. What I mean by meditate on it is take a short portion and really dig into it. You know, football coaches know that the, the secret of a good game plan is that you have to work both ends. What I mean by that is if you want to have a great running game, you also need to have a good long game. Every now and then, every now and then you've got to air it out, throw the long ball. That softens up the defense. Now you can jam the ball up the gut. Right? And if you keep jamming the ball up the gut, pretty soon they're going to think every, running, every play is going to be a running play. Boom. You go back to the long game again. Short game, long game. Same for the scriptures. You know what a great game plan is for the scriptures? The long game? Yeah. You sit down and you read chunks of scripture. A chapter. Two chapters. Three chapters. But do you have a short game too? Do you just take one passage and think it through thoroughly so that you've got that short game going on? You put those two together, you've got a great game plan for growing in the Spirit. And uh, if you want a practical tip for meditating on the Scriptures, take a verse like the one that we're studying today, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as you think about that, emphasize one word at a time. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you emphasize one word at a time and think about how that sort of changes things in your mind, it's a great way to meditate on the Scriptures. So there's five ways to drill down and get more of God's word in your life. All 
to make this point, that God wants you to have confidence in his wisdom. And if you drill down in the scripture, you have both the long game and the short game, you're going to gain confidence from the Bible. Our third and final big why to study the Bible is that God wants us to take God's word and put it into application in our lives. God wants you to apply his word in your life so that you can really learn to be confident in what he says. How easy it is for us to forget the lessons that God wants to teach us in life. I always cringe a little bit, you know, when people say to me or to someone else, they say, make a mistake once, uh, I can understand that, but don't dare make the same mistake twice. Or you've probably heard the old proverb, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. used to have a friend that used to quote that to me all the time. You know what? Every time he did, you know what I want to do? Just hang my head. Because I don't know about you, but I'm constantly repeating the same mistakes. You've got to be kidding me. Only make the same mistake once, and then you better get it corrected the second time? That just doesn't work for me. I keep repeating the same mistakes. And boy, am I a fool. I've been fooled once and twice and three and four times. That's why I love that word grace. Because you know what grace means? That I could be a fool 70 times, seven times, Jesus says, forever. That I can sin against God again and again and again, commit the same mistake over and over again, and God is always there waiting to forgive me. Is that not amazing? And that's exactly what grace means. And that's why we need to have this word of God always in our hearts so that we can get rid of that guilt and that shame every week of knowing, yep, I repeated that same mistake again. Better go back and focus on the cross. I want to read you a letter, one that was sent me this week from a young man. You know, sometimes our lives are difficult. This is a letter from a man who is in Iraq right now. He's uh, one of our members here at Crosswalk, the son of one of our families here at Crosswalk. And he writes to us all. And it's a great example of what it means to have God's word solidly planted in your life and to have that as the solid foundation of everything you do. Listen to what he writes. Greetings from the Al-Anbar province of Iraq. I want to start by saying thank you for all your prayers. If anyone ever had a doubt about miracles, this place will make a believer out of you. Life hangs on a delicate balance that's controlled by our Heavenly Father. And you become more aware of that while here. For believers, it's what we call our time in the desert, like the Israelites who spent 40 years in the desert not far from here, learning to trust in God for all things and to rely on him in everything. We too are forced, hopefully willingly, to trust in God with not only our lives, but also our spiritual well-being. Every day in Iraq is a challenge, just like in, in the States. The challenges here aren't necessarily harder or more dangerous all the time. The difference is that when you are home, you have the familiar earthly things or people 
to turn to and help you through your challenges. Those are things God and loved ones put in our lives when we're home. But oftentimes here we have nothing familiar aside from a few comrades. This leads us to rely more and more on God and his divine wisdom and intervention. All of this is wonderful for building a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But what then? And here's the part I think I love most of all. In Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus gives his disciples their last standing orders, as we call them. The Great Commission. The first instructions we receive are to go and make disciples of all nations. In short, our developing an intimate relationship with our Savior is important. But if we aren't sharing it with others, we're failing. The support from home and people who are backing us spiritually is what gives us the strength to do this while doing our job here. It's so easy to get discouraged anywhere in life. But when you know someone is thinking about you, praying for you, taking time out of their day to support you, it makes a world of difference. It's a feeling of hope that's undeniable. And one which even if you can't see it on the outside of someone, it gives them a warmth inside that helps pull them through the day. I can't thank you all enough, Brian writes, for what you do for us. Because knowing that there are good people back home who are going to be waiting for us when we get home is the greatest feeling ever. Every week my mom sends me a bulletin from the past week's service, which sometimes I don't have time to go through right away and end up with a few backed up. Eventually, reading through it and hearing stories of what's going on back home makes you almost feel a part of it. it. Gives me something positive and exciting to look forward to coming home to you. Thank you for all your support. God bless you and happy holidays. SPC Brian Dover. Now there's a young man who's living in a pretty difficult set of circumstances right now. And he makes it clear that the Bible, God's word, is the foundation for what he's trying to do over there and that sharing it with others is a tremendous joy. What a great example that is for us as we think about Peter's words, but grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I give you a couple of things to think about this week? As... um, As you go through the week, and um, let me find my crosswalk notes. Take a look at these, your next steps in the crosswalk. Secure God's power for your life, God's power for eternal life too. And will you do this this week? Commit to daily time in the Bible. Really strongly encourage you to do that. Be refreshed in your memory and in your spirit. You may make the same mistakes again and again like I do. But remember this, God's love shown on the cross is the pivotal message of the whole Bible. And if you're looking for a a Bible passage to put on a sticker on your visor, one of the best ones you could put is the 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you've brought us here today to worship you. And as I think about what I hear from you in your word and the confidence you want me to have in your word, I thank you that you put the power of the Spirit there. Lord, I recognize that I don't always live 
according to your word, that I haven't always made your word the final authority in my life. For those things I repent, Lord, but at the same time, I walk confidently knowing that that Bible is the same thing that teaches me about your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the message of the cross and forgiveness and grace. Lord, empower me by the Spirit who works in the Word to turn my life around and to turn my life into a life that's pleasing to you. Help me to do as, as Brian talks, to take this Bible message and teach it to others so that others can know that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.